Are you accepting it? No, of course no. not. Rubbish. The government is not accepting it. Well, Welcome to Two Grumpy Hacks, the podcast. I'm Malcolm Farr, and of course, we're with Dennis Atkins. And this is the year of the fire hose of falsehood. This is number 20, I do believe. Podcast for this year, Two Grumpy Hacks. And we've just had a state by-election in Upper Hunter, and it would seem the COVID force field has predicted uh, Gladys Berejiklian uh, yet again. Um, an extraordinary performance, considering that New South Wales is now a state that looks more like a bad soap opera with uh, with running uh, corruption allegations. John Barillaro, the Nationals' leader, uh, vowed that uh, if the Nationals lost the seat, he would uh, he would quit. That that's the sort of promise you make when you know you never you never ever going to have to keep it. More interesting is what's happened to Labor, a 9% swing against it. Dennis, that's got to hurt, hasn't it? It does, yes. And, uh, you know, it's sort of the, the circumstances um, were made for a swing against the government. Uh, that didn't happen. Um, but they are also made for the Labor Party to at least hold its vote. Now, it only got uh, uh, just under 30% of the vote last time uh, at the last state election in New South Wales, it's now just over 20%. So it, it, it could barely get uh, one in five people to give Labor its first preference. Uh, and that's a, it's a shocking result for Labor uh, and it will have ramifications for the state party. But it's also got, I think, a message in there for federal Labor in that while this seat itself is a National Party seat, been a National Party seat since before, uh, you know, uh, Barnaby Joyce started having children. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, um, yeah, a very long time. Uh, yeah, it, it is in a region and it does contain some, some people, some voters, some electors who Labor needs to connect with. Uh, the Hunter, Newcastle region, around that area, coal mining, small business, regional and rural uh, voters and electorates. Now, we know Joel Fitzgibbon says he's worried about his seat. Uh, Sharon Clayton uh, said she's worried about her seat. Um, uh, she's the member for Newcastle. And um, we've also got Paddy Conroy in there as well. So we've got three Labor, Labor members who have got varying degrees of safety and concern about their future. The fact that Labor could only get one in five people to give it first preference will make all of those three MPs a little nervous and will make Scott Morrison think that this is somewhere he can pick up seats to perhaps compensate for losses uh, from redistributions or electoral trouble elsewhere. So what, what is the issue here that's so damaging to Labor? Is it because it can't shoulder its way into the political debate because it's all about uh, recovery from the pandemic and you know staying safe from the pandemic? Uh, it has no role in that particular area. Or is it just you know uh, 
just not relating in any way, whether at a state level or a federal level, with what punters in those areas uh, see as priorities. Well, I think it's some of the first and some of the second. I mean, yeah, yeah. yes, it, it, it is having difficulty getting into the broader debate um, because the coalition in New South Wales at a state and federal level uh, are, are dominating um, the attention of voters um, because they are seen at those two levels uh, to have done a good job. Um, now, people can debate the, the merits of that argument, but it is, a, it is something uh, that shows up in polls uh, and has done for you know, the last 15 or so months. However, the other thing, which is, and this is where Joel Fitzgibbon's uh, argument comes in, federal Labor has not been able to have the kind of conversation that works with these particular electorates. Uh, people who, I, I call them people who work with their hands. They're, they're people who work in mines. They're people who work uh, you know, sort of in, in engineering, in, in uh, you know, sort of in, in jobs where you, you don't sit behind a desk and, and work at a computer all day. You actually get out and work with your hands. Um, you know, they're, they're, in Queensland, Labor holds none of these seats. In Western Australia, Labor holds none of these seats. In New South Wales, um, the main seat that they held, and they still hold, Hunter, the Joel Fitzgibbons, they were taken to the edge uh, of losing that at the last election. Uh, and this vote shows that they haven't improved. That's the bigger problem, I think, because that shows that they're not going to be able to pick up the seats that they need in Queensland and some of their seats elsewhere in the country could be in danger. We're both old enough, sad to say, to remember when it was considered something of a phenomenon that uh, the Labor vote was spreading away from uh, the shop floor into the white collar areas, such as teachers, etc. And this was you know, part of the, uh, the Whitlam miracle. Uh, and now uh, it would seem that uh, the... Uh, the imperative is, is to move it back to a degree, as you say, to people who work uh, with their hands. Now, talking about the Hunter region, uh, it, it was a convenient coincidence that the government this week chose to formally announce a $600 million gas-fired power station uh, in the Hunter Valley, uh, one that business uh, wouldn't touch with a, uh, a power pole because it's, uh, it's going to be very expensive. There are still huge doubts that it will indeed lower the cost of power. There are huge questions about it in employment capacity once it's up and running, whether it's needed at all. This is, this is one of the, the grand gestures of Scott Morrison, um, which exists purely for that purpose, I, I would suggest. Others would argue that um, uh, well-known Angus Taylor, the energy minister, might have a detailed view of the future of this power plant, but uh, you know, gas-fired power plants aren't, at least are not coal-fired power plants. So Morrison can argue on, on that front that he's doing the right thing. But again, is it necessary? $600 million. Uh, is it really needed there or is it just a stunt? Uh, well, there, there's no real you know, hard evidence 
from the people who crunch the numbers or the people who, who know this policy well that this is needed and and the evidence that was the documents that were issued um, uh, with the New South Wales Department of Planning the environmental impact statement for the project says that the the plant you know if this if this gas-fired power station is built that it will operate for an average across the year of just two percent of its capacity uh, which is an incredibly inefficient spending of six hundred million dollars. Um, uh, my colleague at the New Daily, Alan Kohler, uh, has has estimated uh, that um, to cover the cost of this power plant over fifteen years would require a power price of three hundred and forty-six uh, dollars per megawatt hour. Uh, and the current price is, on the futures market for three years hence is just $57.75. So that's one-sixth of the price required to cover the cost of building the plant. So he says on those figures alone, it's not going to push power prices down. In fact, it's going to do exactly the opposite. It's going to push power prices up. That is if it's built and if it's needed, and it's probably not needed on, on any assessment other than the electoral assessment that the Prime Minister and the New South Wales National Party have made. I, I think that uh, that's a, a very critical point you make, if it is built, because, of course, we know that the Morrison government has a, a uh, staunch record of discrepancies between what's announced and what, what actually turns up. And marginally related to that, there's a certain amount of overload within the uh, Commonwealth Public Service because the Morrison government is very hairy-chested about uh, caps on public service employment, which means that to get things done, um, the various agencies have had to go elsewhere. And in the, the Canberra Times, uh, uh, Doug Dingle has reported that, that at the moment, something like 37% of um, people working in um, public agencies, Commonwealth agencies, um, uh, from labour hire contractors, uh, so uh, which is a pretty expensive way um, to do work, uh, and it does uh, seem that there's going to be greater demand for these contractors, if indeed, as you expect, there's going to be an, an October election because uh, the federal government will want some goods to uh, flash around in the campaign, uh, and it'll have to um, uh, hasten um, the, the, the development work and a whole range of projects, not, not least of all being this $600 million monster. Uh, we just uh, go to what Scott Morrison is up to as um, uh, what, what I um, churlishly call the, uh, the, the uh, one-dimensional prime minister. He's in so many photographs uh, from his personal uh, taxpayer-funded photographer roaming all around the place, uh, uh, jumping in big machines. The Guardian Australia had a, had a, a display of them and, and when you see them collectively, they, uh, they they do look rather 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 odd as a package. What do you think he's up to? Oh well, he's he's doing what uh, successful politicians do. He's sort of you know using pictures to illustrate action. Uh, whether or not that action has any substance or not is another thing. I mean, this reminds me uh, of a, a great story. Uh, one of the most successful politicians of the modern era was the American president Ronald Reagan. Uh, and he had, uh, as his deputy chief of staff, a guy named Michael Deaver, 
um, who uh, had, a, had a background in communications um, uh, and he was responsible for Reagan's image. Some of the iconic Reagan shots, Reagan on, on the Great Wall of China, Reagan at Normandy, Reagan filling sandbags after floods in Louisiana uh, were Michael Deaver's constructions. Michael Deaver even orchestrated Ronald Reagan's funeral so that as the casket was laid into the ground, the sun was setting over the Pacific in the background. I mean, this guy was a, a, role, a, a genuine genius when it came to political image. And the great story is... is yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Cue the sun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's sort of the Truman Show all over. But um, you know, the, the great story uh, is that an ABC, American ABC network uh, uh, report journalist in Washington put together a three and a half minute package, which in television terms is a very long piece uh, of all of these um, stage shots that Reagan uh, was doing. And he was essentially telling a story saying that we've got a president who's based on image and image alone. And it, you know, so it ran for three and a half minutes and all these photographs of Reagan doing everything all over the world. And he told the story that after it went to air, his phone rang, he picked it up and uh, the secretary at the ABC uh, bureau said, uh, Michael Deaver's on, on the line. And he thought, oh, hell, I'm going to get an earful here. And anyway, so he took the call from Michael Deaver and Michael Deaver said to him, uh, you know, look, I'm just ringing to say thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> and, and he said, what do you mean? I just sent your guy up for three and a half minutes on national TV. He said, no, you didn't. You just mm. put on national television three and a half minutes of images of my guy uh, in action all over the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all you need to know about what Scott Morrison's up to and why he does it. It worked for Ronald Reagan and it's working for Scott Morrison. Well, uh, one would hope there are at least a few voters who um, uh, looked with a, a mixed view at uh, at uh, Scott Morrison doing thumbs up from the back of trucks trailers. Yeah, but they, but, but they are not the voters who Labor needs to attract. Uh, you know, they're voters who whose minds are already made up. Mm. Let's go to some mail now. Remember, you can ask us questions by uh, emailing them. We call it mail, but emailing them to two grumpy hacks at gmail.com, two numeral grumpy hacks, one word at gmail.com. Put your name and your location. Don't have to be terribly specific, but we'd just like to know uh, roughly where you are in Australia selling for it. It helps context. Uh, we've got one from Anne who unfortunately doesn't uh, let us know uh, where she lives, which is sort of appropriate. It says the, um, the lacklustre performance of the Labor opposition federally has turned her mind as to who the coalition within the coalition ranks, other than Scott Morrison, uh, might have the skills to take on the top job. And uh, uh, it, this is interesting because it, it, it takes a swipe both at um, the, the ALP front bench and Scott Morrison. But have you got any ideas who might be waiting in the coalition wings to uh, uh, replace Scotty? Uh, let me think. Uh, well, um, uh, Josh Frydenberg. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Are you uh, look, sure I, I, <laughs> Josh, Josh wouldn't be pushy like that? I, I think, I think Josh would uh, like nothing better than an opportunity to come along. As much as he uh, supports Scott Morrison, and as much as he loves his sleepovers at Kirribilli House in Sydney, whenever he's in Sydney, 
um, in in that wonderful city. But uh, you know, Josh wants the job, and uh, and there's you know all you have to do is watch him and listen to him, uh, and you know he wants the job. He wants it more than anyone else, and he may well get there. He's not going to do a Peter Costello. He's not going to die wondering or you know sort of go to sleep wondering. Um, you know, if he gets an opportunity, he will take it. Uh, what happens after the election? Well, we'll have to wait and see. One mainly on you know the outcome of the election, of course. But I, I think that Josh Frydenberg is is streets ahead of any of his colleagues. However, can I say that uh, one of uh, uh, my fellow Queenslanders here uh, thinks that he's still got the uh, the goods uh, for the top job, and that's Peter Dutton. And I think if you watch him and how he's um, using his new role as defence minister uh, to I wouldn't say broaden, widen perhaps his appeal or his 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 uh, image and and his message. Um, uh, yeah, he, he's going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, I, look, I think Peter Dutton has has settled too too deeply into the role of forgive my immaturity of you know of, of Lurch in the in the uh, the federal cabinet version of the of the Adams family. Uh, I, I I just think that he's. Uh, uh, his his intensity uh, isn't isn't very attractive to a lot of people. Josh, you're quite right. Josh will support the prime minister. He'll be there, backing him, just waiting for an opportunity, though a legitimate opportunity. It, it's as if he's um, saying, "Go ahead, Scott. You know, but do the highway act. Uh, just don't don't have a safety net because uh, don't worry. Uh, uh, I'll be there should you happen to trip." In another letter and. Again, sadly, uh, no, um, no location. Um, but Sarah writes that the Greens have had a, quote, major influence, close quote, on policy and election outcomes in, uh, in recent years and suggests that uh, they might have a, 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 a chance of forming uh, a minority government with Labor. Given all this, Sarah asks, why is the media uh, not uh, focusing on green policy? I think I think they do, and uh, the, you know the notion of a um, of a uh, a joint Labor Green government is, is a little far fetched. But the, I, I think the Greens are uh, under scrutiny. Oh yeah, I think they are, and I think they will uh, become more under scrutiny. Uh, under they they will attract more scrutiny if the idea that uh, they may form a minority government with Labor uh, takes hold. Um, in the lead up to the Queensland election uh, at the end of last October, um, a lot of people mistakenly thought that the Greens here could form a minority government with Anastasia Palaszczuk. Um, uh, you know, and as a result of that, the Greens uh, party, their policies attracted a lot more attention than I've seen in recent elections in Queensland. And may I say, I think the Greens benefited from that in those electorates they were targeting and, and uh, they managed to uh, hold on to one seat which might have otherwise been in a bit of trouble and they won a second seat. So they doubled their, their numbers in the parliament uh, and increase their vote, especially well, in in mainly in uh, in inner Brisbane. Um, so, yeah, 
they might not be attracting that much attention just now, but if the idea that they could be in a minority government uh, does take hold, then I think they will attract quite a bit of attention. Uh, whether that's good or bad for them, we'll have to wait and see. I'm sure that Scott Morrison would love to uh, uh, you know, hold out the, the, um, the fear and the, um, the disaster that might flow from a Labor-Green alliance. Oh, of course, it's a, a, it's a, it's the sort of scare campaign of which he is adept. Uh, look, just an observation by me as we end here. It's just stunning uh, that transformation. I mean, we we never consider Scott Morrison um, having an ideology as such. He's you know, conservative, small c uh, to a degree. But uh, it, it's amazing how uh, he's gone on uh, big spending, and now he's. Uh, in interfering in the power industry with the six hundred million dollar monster, and it, it would seem that uh, that's uh, uh, that that's, that's a strange thing for a um, so-called conviction politician to do. But I'm just I'm reminded of of, of the, uh, the the great Scottish cantankerous independent James Maxton, who uh, who when caught with a sort of uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, this situation of backing uh, two sides at the same time, said, look. If you can't ride two horses at once, you shouldn't be in the bloody circus. Uh, and I, I think that's a, a coverall for what uh, Scott Morrison doing at the moment. And he will be doing more, and we will tell you about it. In the meantime, it's goodbye from him. And it's goodbye from me.